0: It's going to be a normal business practice in the future to own some kind of of your own insurance company.
1: Welcome to Business Owners Radio. Business Owners Radio, where established business owners get the latest insights, strategies, and practices to grow a sustainably profitable business. And now, Taking Care of Business, your hosts, Craig Moen and Shai Gilad.
2: Welcome to Business Owners Radio, episode 167. Our guest today is Van Carlson, founder of Strategic Risk Alternatives, a company that helps companies manage and mitigate risk in their businesses. Van has extensive background in risk management with more than 24 years in the industry. Prior to founding Strategic Risk Alternatives, Van ran his own property and casualty firm for 15 years. With many commercial business owners as his clients, he saw the Great Recession of 2008 hit hard. And just like them, he was also affected by the sharp downturn in our economy. In light of what's happening across the country and around the world due to COVID-19, this kind of unforeseen risk is the foundation of strategic risk alternatives. And one of the reasons the government created the tax code they use to build up tax advantage reserves in situations like this to cover loss, keep businesses running, and protect what they've worked so hard for. Good morning, Van. Welcome to Business Owners Radio. Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to our discussion today. Especially in these exciting times we're having where risk is uh, a large subject. So I was curious, what led up to starting Strategic Risk Alternatives?
0: You know, I uh, was fortunate enough to run a pretty successful property casualty agency back in the early 90s. I started that company and I live outside of a little place called Meridian, Idaho and and Boise, Idaho. And and we were growing pretty rapidly and I was able to grow my property casualty agency pretty fast. And in the beginning, like every business owner, you kind of wear all the hats and over a period of time, you give those hats away. And one of the hats I kept for myself was dealing with business owners specifically to their risk management programs and as i developed those relationships they became personal friends of mine and then you know here comes 2008 along and you know i love business owners because you know they knew the 172 accelerated depreciation right which meant buy more equipment and you get to accelerate depreciate i get to insure those products and now i get to make more money too so it's good but, you know, the Great Recession came along and, you know, those friends, those community leaders, you know, unfortunately found themselves in in a bad situation from a financial risk that they have taken all along those ways, just based on not understanding all the tax codes and also understanding the risk they were taking to take advantage of those tax codes. So. I saw a lot of them go out of business. And then I also was witness to clients that had these types of tools and that were able to take advantage of those good times and take a little bit off the top and park it off to the side. You know, I tell clients, that's this risk mitigation 101. If you're in a position to do that, you should be able to build a rainy day fund up in your business if you can. I saw those same business owners that were doing it for years. They're the ones showing up at the auctions buying their competitors' equipment. And they had the funds and the resources to do it so because they didn't leverage. They did things differently. And then when you start looking at Fortune 500 companies, publicly traded companies, privately held large companies, they thrive in good times and bad times. And then when you start to look at the way they structure, they also build rainy day funds up as well. And so from my point of view, I thought to myself, man, there's got to be a better way. We got to be able to bring in this kind of concepts this risk management tools to the small to middle market business owners without killing them, without making it so costly they can't do it, than us managing those things for them. So That's when I decided to uh, actually, you know, my wife, she was working with me at the time and and she'd been five years in our agency and she actually took over the agency and I went and did this full time. That's when we born uh, Strategic Risk Alternatives. My business partner was on the financial side of things and he understood the managing the reserves and all this kind of stuff. So so basically what we do is we mitigate risks for our business owners utilizing the 831B tax code and allows them to build up their own insurance company. Self-insuring risk is not a deduction by the IRS code. The code was introduced in 1986, Reform Act. And at that point, farmers were really self-insuring crop insurance, private sectors getting out of it. And Congress formed this tax called 831B for small to middle market business owners to really form some kind of form of their own insurance company for the benefit of self-insuring the risk they were taking. You know, I tell clients it's been a 12-year overnight success story. But, you know, we got a lot of traction 2012, 2013. Economy was getting better. And... We had some litigation cases come out that gave us good focus on where we need to go here to make sure we don't put our clients in harm's way regarding the tax code. But since then, we've grown rapidly, and and I think we have about 150 representatives throughout the country. I have a 12-member team that work for Strategic Risk Alternatives. Great team I have, very forward-thinking, and yeah, we're on our way. And 2019 was by far our best year And now where we're at today, a lot of those clients that we put on last year are thanking us for uh, getting them involved in the program.
2: And before we jump into some of these risk alignments and alternatives, I was so curious your thoughts regarding what I'm seeing happening with groups, including lawyers and, and businesses and government getting involved with pressuring the insurance companies to assume liability for the pandemic as a risk that should be covered in the policies, but yet they're not in the contracts. Your thoughts.
0: Yeah, so a couple things on that. Just so everybody knows, I mean, the, here, it's a math problem. And here's the math. As the industry, as the United States goes, the insurance industry collects about $71 billion a year in premiums. And that's for everything, from the semis you see driving down the road to the high-rises you see downtown New York, to the small coffee shops, to the mom-and-pops, and so forth. $71 billion. It's estimated right now, small business owners are losing almost $435 billion a month. I would also tell you that burning of commercial buildings, commercial accidents, slip and falls, work comp claims property damages theft, they have not gone away. So insurance companies make money. You want them to make money. They've got to be around to pay claims that you buy insurance for. And what happened really was back when SARS first came out, some large insurance companies thought they were protected from business interruption of, of those types of coverages, specifically to pandemics. Well, after SARS, a couple of big companies, Chubb was one of them, lost in court. And basically, they had to cover business interruption. So after that, they started issuing policies and and mind you, they issue new policies every year and they get thicker and thicker and they don't get thicker and thicker because there's more coverage. They get thicker and thicker of the policies because there's more exclusions. And one of the exclusions they put into it was specific pandemic language and any quarantining by the government. And so this situation right now, in my opinion, even with the ramp up of the attorney's lawsuits and so forth, I think a lot of these companies tighten up their policies to the point where it's gonna be very difficult for an insured to win on that basis. If the government agencies were to mandate it and specifically to states, I think you would find they would just go insolvent overnight, literally. And so I don't see the insured winning on this one. I think it's not in their interest to, truthfully. And the government's doing what they're doing right now to try to keep them alive. But from my point of view, it would be very dangerous to mandate this, especially when they haven't charged the premium for the risk. And that's what these government agencies would be asking them to do.
2: I appreciate that. And let's dive into some of the risks that exist out there in a business owner's world and various businesses of various flavors and styles and and requirements. Where do alternate risk assessments and alternatives come into play? What types of businesses and where is it best fit?
0: You know we're across the industry spectrum when it comes to our clients you know when we sit down and look at the risks that profiles business owners have a lot of them have a lot of things in common resolution is probably the big one where actions being brought against you for a dispute between employees partners contractors suppliers or whatever general liability coverages aren't going to cover it because they're you weren't liable at the physical locations And so those are where we come in and evaluate the risk of the companies. Now, most companies, and and I'm not here to increase or decrease risk clients have. And, And what I mean by that is I think traditional insurances do a very good job. I think they do a very good job when it comes to the tangible assets of a business. And what I mean by tangible, you're looking at buildings, vehicles, work comp, a general liability, product liability and so forth. So they do a very good job when it comes to the tangible assets of your business. The intangible assets get to be much, much harder to define and value. And so when I talk with most business owners, when I'm in front of an audience of business owners, you always ask the question between the two asset classes, the intangible versus the tangible, what do you value most? And I would tell you over 90% of the business owners out there value the intangible assets. Well, what are the intangible assets? biggest one is cash flow. And that's what we're seeing crunched right now is cash flow. And of course, you know, relating to that would be your brand, your contracts, proprietary, standing in the community, consumer confidence and so forth. Those are all values that business owners drive every day because they know they have to in order to get consumer confidence up enough to want to come and buy their products or do business with them. That's the intangible assets. That's what people when they would go to sell their business, that's what they're trying to get the multiple for, right? And so, those are very difficult for insurance carriers to want to insure, especially in these situations where you got a catastrophic event going on. You know, in the past, we talked to business owners about cyber, for example. Cyber, we are looking at small to middle market business owners having really the most exposure to cyber because they don't have these robust firewalls like big companies do, and so forth. And yet, they have just as much information, if not more, than a lot of big businesses do. And so. We would go out and say, "Okay, here's where you're lacking on some of your cyber coverages. We're going to fill in here with some gaps." But you're self-insuring these risks right now. We call an the A and B fund and so forth. But you know, you got A risk handled, but here's your B risk, and your B risk is your brand protection in, in event of a cyber attack. So we were going down that road. We got dispute resolution. We had third-party business interruption come on board last year with us. Third-party business interruption is becoming bigger and bigger all the time because. Most businesses are relying on third parties to provide a service to them that's critical to their business. It's not necessarily supply chain risk. You're not providing a product for me, basically. But maybe I throw all my files up into the clouds, and I rely on this company to manage those clouds for me. If they were to be compromised, and I can't access those files somehow, what's that doing to my, again, the greatest intangible asset I have in any business is the cash flow of the business. What does that do in my reputation in the community that I work for and live in? And so those are third-party business interruptions, which uh, I'm being told we were the first ones to craft that policy, to be able to design that, to recognize risk, to help clients that were self-insuring the risk, but then also at the same time doing it right to make sure that if they are self-insuring this risk, how do you make sure that you're in this code correctly so you can expense these premiums out and we put it into your own vehicle And it becomes your own insurance company. And then you have the tax advantages that the 831B provides you. So those are really the things what we were looking at in the beginning. Now, of course, with the pandemic, you know, we're looking at payroll protection. We're looking at more broader coverages. We have a policy called political risk. The political risk is obviously great. I mean, we're pretty heavily involved in the medical community, as you can imagine, between surgical centers, plastic surgeries, med spas, to a dentist. You know, they were required to shut down. They're worried about not getting their employees back. In fact, if everything we see going on right now, that's probably been the biggest spin up because we have such a big marketplace right now with the medical community out there. You know, the smaller practitioners that have been using our services, you know, we're putting money coming out of their insurance companies. And these were profits that were piled up over the years. And now they're in a position to pay their employees, to keep the lights on, keep some kind of marketing aspect in the, you know, in the social media so that, you know, people know that they're still out there. So when that state's ready to reopen, they're ready to go right away. They're using profits now to keep themselves alive. And that's the efficiencies of business that I always want to make sure small to middle market business owners know that this is not new. It's new to that. It's new to you, but just know it's been around for over 34 years now. And big companies have been taking advantage of these tools for a long, long time now. And because of cost factors, we're in a position to be able to put you in it now where it makes sense for you to do
3: it. And can we dive into that a little bit as far as the cost factors? So, you know, what I'm hearing is the main benefits are there's a tax advantage, perhaps as part of your tax strategy to self-insure. And it also sounds like there's all kinds of liability exposures that are really hard to underwrite with third party insurance that you can underwrite. Where does the cost start to play into this? Um, in terms of if I'm looking at my budget, when do you see a, a business be in position where they can really start recognizing some of these savings?
0: You know, we got dentists doing thirty, forty thousand dollars a year into their program. It's still dollars out for them. I mean, obviously we make money doing this and I tell cl- you want us to make money because we need to be around for you, <laughs> you know? So, but at the yeah, same we, time- Yeah, we
3: certainly don't want to manage it. Nobody wants to develop their own in-house insurance expertise is <laughs> a core competency, <laughs> right? Unless they're reselling insurance.
0: Exactly, exactly. And we also, you know, make sure you're in compliance and there's a four-part test you have to adhere to. And there's a actuarials. And there's a list of things that go on in it. We also are very fee conscious, meaning that I don't think fee should never kill a deal for a business owner to own some kind of form of their own insurance company. We will work with that client and we'll make it work for them. We form companies domestically. We do it in a very unique way that makes it affordable for clients that just want to do $30,000 or $40,000 a year. The most you can do into this program per year now is $2.3 million, which means mm-hmm. you can expense up to $2.3 million out of your operating company, dump it into your own insurance company, And that insurance company doesn't pick that premium up as an income. And the insurance company is also a C-corp. So you do create some tax arbitrage down the road between dividend tax or capital gains tax versus ordinary income. So there are some strategies that we work out there. Obviously, CPAs and financial advisors love these programs. There are some tax advantages to them. No surprise, there's been tax abuses by them as well, right? So make it very clear to clients that we're risk mitigation. That's We hire the tax attorneys, we hire the CPAs, they do not work for us. We recognize risks that you have and and we manage your risks much more effectively. That's really what the code was designed to do. So So how does this kind of
3: relationship typically start, right? So let's say I'm interested in exploring this further. Walk me through that process. What does it look like?
0: Yeah. So basically we rely on other trusted advisors right now. So we work with a lot of property and casualty agents around the country and CPAs and financial advisors. And we get them to the education level of saying, Hey, this is a tool in the toolbox, guys. You better know about this tool because it's going to come up with your clients and you may want to be the first one to bring it to them too, by the way. And just say, Hey, this may or may not work for you. Here's a company that we know about, go watch their videos. You know, we can put a zoom call together And you start to understand if this is what you want to do or not. Um, And it really comes back to what, especially right now with the property casualty agents. I mean, when I was a property casualty agent, the worst thing I ever said to my business owners was, that's not covered. That's never a good thing because you have a relationship. And and of course, there's some perception that a policy, you know, especially when I hear clients say, I have an umbrella policy. And somehow that's a pixie dust (laughs) or something like it covers everything. And it's like, (laughs) you know, it's far from it. So we rely on that and then it's just an educational process to the business owners. You know, we work with their trusted advisors. Obviously, the CPA has to understand it and we have to educate that CPA. Unfortunately, most CPAs today, you know, I'm, I'm pretty candid about it. I think they do very little for business owners today, unfortunately, because of the way that their liability they take on to do their tax work. I would say probably one out of 100 CPAs today are true tax planners for their clients especially if they're single proprietor or multiple partners, you know, two or three partners, and it's nothing against them. It's just the tax code's gotten more, even with the 2017 Tax Reform Act, it's gotten much, much more complicated for them. And they don't have the resources like a Deloitte does, where, you know, I work with Deloitte clients, and Deloitte has no problem with clients owning their own insurance companies. I deal with other smaller firms where it's very difficult because they don't have the education or they don't have an understanding and they don't have the time to understand it. And a lot of times they just say no to it. And it's unfortunate because we would have a lot more clients in place right now had we had CPAs get on board with us in the past. And now those clients that, you know, are reaching back out to us saying, hey, how do I get this going? Because I never want to experience this again. And so that's how we process it. Really, it's an education. And the business owner has to decide if it's the right tool for them or not. I think right now we have over 300 clients working with us around the country, but it's an educational process. A lot of times it is new to them. I'd rather come in with direct advisors that kind of know us and give us, I call it the halo of credibility, where referred in by other professionals. Um, so that's definitely a focus we have. And then we do have some direct business as well.
3: So in the age of like Black Swan type business interruption yeah. events, like what we're going through right now, I am sure this your phone must be ringing off the hook, people trying to manage what's happening. So how do you think that's going to affect this marketplace going forward?
0: You know, it's going to be interesting. From our standpoint we're mitigating some risk issues and and the biggest industries is the restaurant industries the tourism industries we don't have a big slew of that book of business in our clients so we're not getting hit with those types of things i think those are pretty severe obviously the ones that we are getting hit with is the medical community like i talked about earlier and truthfully we were the first ones to respond we were the first ones to make sure they were able to take out funds and dump it back into their operating company as quick as possible to keep their employees' payroll and everything else. Since today, I'm sure they've applied for the subsidy programs that they put out. But uh, I think for going forward, you know, it's no different than I experienced in 08 and 09 when I saw businesses go go out, you know, and I've talked to business owners since then, and, you know, they weathered the storm. Wouldn't it be better to weather the storm doing it this way? And, you know, doing the same thing over and over again, we all know what that leads to. So to me, it's a game changer from that standpoint. I think it's going to be a point of interest with a lot of new clients that we have coming up. Here's what I believe. I believe if you're a successful enterprise, it's going to be a normal business practice in the future to own some kind of form of your own insurance company. Because you got to remember, self-insuring risk isn't deductible. You know, a good example I work with is HVAC guys that sell service agreements three to five years out, which means now they're going to charge $500 for a service agreement, but they just booked a liability for the next four years. Going out, sending a tech out, and doing the AC service and the heating service, you know, in the fall time. Well, that's great as long as you got cash flow coming in. But what happens when you don't? And you just book that liability out. And meanwhile, you pick up the four or five hundred dollars this year in profit. Wouldn't it be better to take a portion of these proceeds and set them off to the side, and then next year bill against that and take claims back out of it? So the efficiencies of business start to ramp up pretty significant. It's just a better way to manage risk to mitigate the risk. We do that with printing companies that, hey, I'll sell you a printer. I'll service it for free for five years. Well, that's great. You mark it up in the sale of the product, but wouldn't it just be more efficient business, taking a little bit off to the side and knowing that you're going to have to go out and fix this thing for free and that tech doesn't want to work for free? So that's really the education level. We deal with that part of it. I mean, a good example is the guys in the auto industry. They've been owning their own insurance companies the longest. They're really incentivized (laughs) to sell you an extended warranty when you go buy a vehicle. Well, the reason why is it's extremely profitable business because they're able to take those dollars and expense it out of their operating company and dump it into their own insurance company. Some of these guys own three or four or five of these insurance companies. So there's a lot of strategies that go into it, but they've been doing it the longest. And, And the way I got into the business really is I saw it doing for the RVs, you know, back in 2008, 2009, RVs were being killed. The manufacturers went away. Nobody was getting consumer loans. So, But the guys that had been selling these extended warranties on RV trailers for the heating units, the refrigeration units, the AC units, it just wasn't an auto warranty at that point. It was much, much broader than that. And I started looking at that and going, well, wait a minute, couldn't other industries look at doing this as well? And since then, we've blown up in a lot of different products. We do a lot of different protection plans. For example, if a storage facility owner wants to own their own protection plans, why sell third-party insurance when you can sell a protection plan and keep the funds in-house and you manage the claims? Because, you know, unfortunately, if you're selling a third-party insurance for the contents of the storage unit and they become damaged and you tell the client, hey, this is not covered because this, this, and this, guess what? You're the messenger now. Wouldn't it be better to control that, Right especially when you're trying to gather customers to constantly rent your storage unit for you for now and forever, right? So those are things that we bring to the concept of business and we're cross-spectrums of business owners and types of industries. You know, we can talk about healthcare where we business owner may want to take a higher deductible but don't want to pass that higher deductible on to the employees. So we're able to spread a gap between a deductible buy-down but take those savings and now dump it into his own insurance company and when an employee has a claim and they go past their, let's say, $1,000 deductible, and now you know they got $4,000 before the insurance kicks in, the employer that's been saving those premium dollars put them into an insurance company, and now he can draw on those. So I'm throwing a lot of stuff out there because I want to make sure people understand that this is a broad way of thinking. And this is what big businesses do every day. They get this kind of advice. There's a reason why Warren Buffett owns a lot of insurance companies. The advantages you get on the back end are, are pretty significant. That's great. But the managing the risk up front, to me, is much more important. You know, one of the things that's going on right now, you guys, is, you know, when you elevate your professionalism with your clients, and you don't get to do that a lot of times. And I tell advisors, this is a product where you get to elevate the perception with your client. Because... It's new to them. It's interesting. They have pain. They felt this pain and other aspects. And of course, right now, it's probably most they've ever felt it for business owners today. And now you can elevate yourself. The other thing I will tell you is the best thing we hear from our clients today is they just sleep easier at night knowing they've been doing our program. And as a risk management person or a person that especially consults with business owners, there's no better compliment than that. And that's what we've been experiencing. And so... In some ways, it's going to be exciting times in the future. I mean, it's unfortunate what we experienced this, but at the same time, I think it always rocks people to their core sometimes when they really evaluate the risk they took to start their business or run a business.
2: Well, Van, thank you so much for joining us today. Tremendous information and a, and a real opportunity to really take advantage of some carve outs that the government has provided in the past. And now they're really focused on some real value to them. Thank you so much.
0: My pleasure. I really appreciate you guys' time. And, and if any of your listeners want to learn more about us, obviously find us on the web, strategicriskalternatives.com. And from there, you can request certain videos, and we share everything. We have nothing to hide when it comes to that. There's nothing proprietary we feel like we do to the point where uh, we're worried about our competitors. But love to get the education out and then this type of thought process for clients. And, and this is one of these products where you have to think, you know, you have to work on the business instead of in the business. And so when you go down this road, there is a level of concentration you're going to need. And again, you know, I know business owners. I mean, they run hard and fast. They have to, especially right now and survivability mode is gonna be it. But for us right now, it's education, getting these tools out, knowing when these businesses come back, that they're down the road and and the economy's doing well and everything's working great. It's really the time to start looking for the rainy day funds, because unfortunately we know bad days happen. And how do we mitigate those bad days is by utilizing tools that strategic risk alternatives
2: can offer you. Our guest today has been Van Carlson, founder of Strategic Risk Alternatives, You can learn more about Van as well as find links to his content and videos all on our website at businessownersradio.com.
1: Thank you for joining us on Business Owners Radio. We hope you enjoyed today's show. As always, you can read more about each episode along with links and offers in the show notes on our website, businessownersradio.com. We want to hear your feedback.